Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. My name is Harriet Blevins, and I'm so happy you're here today. As always, I want to thank you for your time. I know there are a million other things you could be doing, so I appreciate your willingness to join me today. I will get right into our topic. So since starting this podcast, I have been trying to think and talk a lot about topics that you may have some interest in. It's not often I get the chance to just talk and kind of think out loud, if you will. And this space affords me that luxury a bit. But as I was thinking and even praying about what you might be interested in as the hearer, this topic is at the very top of the list. The topic today is women in ministry. Some of you just audibly gasped. You may have braked, put your brakes on in your car if you're you're driving. You may have dropped your makeup brush if you're standing in your bathroom putting your makeup on in the morning while you're listening. Don't check out on me. Many of you have no problem at all receiving from me here on a podcast. But if you put me standing behind a pulpit on Sunday morning, you are out. Why is that? Why does changing the physical location of my voice do that to you? You may have never thought about that before. So today, let me tell you a little bit of my story and how I got to where I am today. Around the age of 25 to 30, I got a prophetic word, now don't let that trip you up, at my church during a regular Wednesday night church service. Back in the day, we had Wednesday night church services. Prophetic words are meant to encourage, exhort, and lift up other people, and that's exactly what this word did. The person giving it to me was a trusted leader. I knew he knew me, he loved me, and most of all, he loved the Lord. I knew he had been praying for me, so he gave me this word of encouragement. He said, Harriet, you will be God's cheerleader from now on. He is going to use your words to build and further the kingdom of God in the local church. Now, I love that so much. For those of you who don't know, I was a cheerleader all through high school and college, so God was speaking my language, saying I was going to be his cheerleader from now on, and more than that, he was going to use my voice for his kingdom and for his glory. I loved it so much. So fast forward about five years or more later, the first time I realized God really was going to use me and my words to influence others was not all that much fun. It was actually painful. It was nothing to cheer about. I was, uh, I don't know, I felt very like hurt by it all. So let me set up the stage for you. My husband and I had moved to Charleston, South Carolina with our young children. He had been called to be a youth pastor at a large church on James Island near Charleston. So I had been asked by the pastor to lead the women's Bible study and teach on a topic called spiritual authority. I had full understanding of that. I understood that, um, that our church leaders, that I was under their authority. 
Um, I totally, you know, trusted. I had never had a bad leader at all. I had loved my pastor and his wife in the church we grew up in. But this day, sitting in an Arby's restaurant in James Island, South Carolina, I felt nothing but pain. This older couple in our church had asked for a meeting with me to discuss what I was teaching the women on Tuesday night. He was a powerful Charleston attorney, and he actually sat down in the Arby's restaurant with a legal pad across the table from me. Now, I was only teaching the subject that my pastor had asked me to teach. Many of you can maybe identify with that. Someone in your leadership of your local church has asked you to do something, and you want to be a blessing. You want to help them, and so you say yes. So I was only teaching what he had asked me to teach. He had explained that the um, women needed to learn about authority in the church, and they would not receive it from him or his wife. So I was the scapegoat, but I didn't know it at the time. Sitting across from this other older couple in leadership, this powerful couple to me, I felt like at a young age of 35 or so, I heard these words, be careful or you will Oprahize the women in our church. Yes, like Oprah Winfrey. Be careful or you will Oprahize the women in our church. I didn't know it until that moment, but my pastor had set me up. I became painfully aware of it. See, the very thing God had entrusted to me, my voice, was being taken and manipulated for someone else's gain, not the kingdom. It was being used to garner acceptance and loyalty for him and his wife. Within two years, we moved out of that city to Wilmington, North Carolina, to plant Life Church. All we wanted to do was to show people that there is more to life than just simply surviving. I had never even really thought about leading very much at all. I had two young children a very busy family, and jobs. Can I just tell you, my husband and I had five jobs between the two of us for around three years. It was so crazy, and I was so tired. Sadly, the first few women at our new church, our new church plant, they weren't very accepting of any possible calling on my life. In fact, more times than not, I got a call to babysit their children, even though I worked a full-time job and had kids of my own. It began to give me a bad taste for women in general. Isn't that just like the devil, to plant those kind of seeds in our hearts and minds? Because, see, he knew, he knew what the years ahead would bring. I didn't. The enemy knew more than I did at that time about the calling on my life. In those first years, we were barely surviving, and it was so hard. Around this time, a friend shared with me a spiritual picture they had gotten of Wilmington and the surrounding area while they were here, and they were, you know, praying for the city. And this is what they saw. They saw a big, giant, tossed salad, like a huge bowl of salad being tossed up into the air. The salad was all in the air, not in the bowl. Now, you need to know, every pastor I have ever talked to always thinks that their city is the very hardest to reach in the whole world. I have never seen an exception to this, but I truly felt that Wilmington and this region was hard, hard ground. When I prayed, I felt God said this, 
the tossed salad, was the Christian people, the local Christian people. Very few planted in local churches, everyone playing musical chairs. We, we called it, at the time, swapping men, members. I became very aware of consumerism in the church, which we will talk about in the coming episodes a little more in depth. Everywhere I went, everyone seemed to go to the same few or couple of churches, all professing Christ, all with broken lives, broken, shattered families in many cases, and no idea about the healing available to them. I even heard one pastor's wife, in quotations I'm going to say, knock on wood once so that she wouldn't get this seasonal flu. I would cry and weep because of all of it because I thought if this was the leaders, then how lost must our flocks actually be? I thought maybe no one had ever told them, there's more. I wanted to scream it from the rooftops. It doesn't have to be this way. God has victory for you in this hard place. But when I would wade in and try to help, they didn't want my style of Christianity. So they actually stayed stuck. This was churches, local schools, clubs, Christian schools, and it was so discouraging to my heart. Around 2010, I left my secular job for a full-time church staff position to the tune of some raised eyebrows, I must say. The church had doubled in size in that season. We moved the church into the Independence Mall and things took off. I began to preach from the pulpit with some regularity on Sunday mornings, and this was interesting to me. The men always liked it. They always encouraged me. The women, not so much. I felt very misunderstood. Pretty soon, we had to hire some other associate pastors to help us carry the load of ministry. And one of our staff pastor's wives came to me one day and said, Hey, Harriet, I want to start a women's ministry at our church. I think the women would really love that. I acted so excited for her. I told her I would pray about it. I walked out of the building, got into my car, and right there in the mall parking lot, I began to pray. I asked the Lord, What is this that I'm feeling? Why does this bother me so much? And God said these words to me that I will never forget. Harriet, the women of your church will carry someone's spiritual DNA. If you won't step up to lead and mother them, I will release that to another. I sat in my car in stunned silence. I truly believed in my heart That is the exact moment sisterhood was born. Now, why am I tying sisterhood ministry to women in ministry in general? Because I truly feel that the lid of ministry in the local church was opened up to me when I fully obeyed God's calling to the women in my church first to lay down my life to serve and minister to them. Now, we will talk in the coming weeks about the local church and why I have decided and my family to give my entire life to it, the importance that it has. But God in that moment said to me, lead them first. Now, today, sisterhood is one of the largest ministries in this city and region, if not the largest women's ministry. This year, we are turning nine years old. Last year, I was asked to speak about this to a local Bible study group, and I asked the leader, why me? 
why are you asking me to, to teach on this? I, I, I don't understand. Most of these people didn't go to our local church. I just, I didn't understand why. And she said these words to me, I'm asking you because you're actually doing it. You're the only person I know doing it. So what would I tell someone who is interested in going down this path further, maybe in your own life? You feel a call, you feel a stirring to something more, but you've had a lid placed on you because of your gender, because you're female. So let's talk about that. I've got seven tips for you. I'm just going to lay them out here, not talk too much about them, but I want you to get them. The first one is be patient. Don't push or force open doors before the Holy Spirit does. That never actually ends well. So don't, don't do that. Number two, guard your heart. What do I mean by this? Offense towards leaders can cause an open gate for the enemy to come into our lives. Protect that, protect against that by keeping very short accounts. Do not hold ongoing offense towards your leadership because that will stop any further movement of your own leadership in this area. Number three, obey God. See, our obedience causes doors, other doors, to open. It's like this gateway to blessing that God gives us. It just rolls out that way. And then, number four, honor others. One of the best ways to show support of women in ministry is to be in the room when she leads. Show up. Be there. Number five, love the local church. Do you know that that is what Jesus is coming back for? Church is God's plan A. There is no plan B to reach all of humanity. For those of you who just love the big C church, but not the little C church so much, that just tells me that you've never been able to get past your offenses, hurts, and unforgiveness with people that you live near. So you watch TV and you maybe take in church online from a pastor many states away that doesn't even know you. But you need to love the local church because Jesus is coming back for his bride, which is the church. And there is no big C church without the little C church. So find a church where you can get in and you can love. Partnering with Jesus to build his church is so powerful. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, there are blessings that flow into our lives when we are planted in the house of the Lord. Number six, cultivate your gift. Spend some time learning and growing and studying to show yourself approved. That's a big one. And then the last one, be willing to serve someone else's vision while you are waiting on God to fulfill yours. If you're unwilling to serve others in their ministries, then God will not open up a door of, of opportunity and ministry to you. And if, and if you push open a door and try to make it happen, there certainly won't be other people there to help you. See, oftentimes I have women approach me about their own giftings and callings, and I'm so excited to hear all that God is stirring in women's hearts. I have always felt that God has called us as women both to carry and to release life to those around us, to our families, our churches, and yes, even our cities and regions. The one word of caution I have is this, never self-promote. Now, what do I mean by that? If God has called you, and I believe he definitely has, then he will lift you up in due season. You don't need to hijack or wrangle 
another person's platform to have a place to minister. God will perfectly position you in his timing. There's a scripture we've always talked about with our children as they were growing up. It's Proverbs 18, 16. And it says, a man or woman's gift makes room for him and brings him in the presence of great men. See, your gifting will make room for you. You don't have to position, posture, or manipulate your way into it. In fact, all that posturing will lead only to frustration and dishonor. God cannot and will not bless that. But when we serve diligently and become faithful in our own hearts, showing up and serving the local church, you will see doors and opportunities fling wide open for you. Take expectation off the table today. What do I mean by that? Don't expect someone who has faithfully built and stewarded a ministry to just step aside and hand it to you. It doesn't work that way. Be humble. Wait on your turn. Wait on God to make room for your gift. And when he does, it will be for real. It will have blessings and anointing attached to it that you could never do on your own. I hope this was helpful to someone today. If you are local to the Wilmington area, I would love to meet you and see you at Sisterhoods on Tuesday. And as always, I want to end today with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, how good you are to us, how kind you are to us. You are the kindest one we know. Thank you for your perfect creation of each of us. For the women listening who have a desire for more burning within their hearts, let today be settled in their spirits as they listened. Carry us all to new places that you have for us. Give us patience to wait on your perfect timing. Give us faith to believe that your way is absolutely the best way. Thank you for your word that directs us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us along right paths. We give ourselves afresh and anew to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So as always, I'm going to leave you with a tip of the day. The tip of today is stop eating so much sugar. That's a big one, isn't it? Now, my tips aren't always going to be about diet, but this one's directly related to our overall health and wellness. Sugar is the new fat. Despite 40 years of Americans being brainwashed into thinking all fat is bad, it turns out it's actually sugar that is making us sick and overweight. Now, I'm preaching to myself on this one. No one out there listening loves sugar as much as I do, but I cannot ignore the facts. Sugar is making America the sickest country in the entire world. Heart disease, cancer, dementia, type 2 diabetes, depression, acne, infertility, and impotence, all linked through scientific documentation to high sugar consumption. And I'm not just talking about Twinkies either. I mean everything that turns to sugar in our bloodstream. Breads, pastas, packaged foods, all the highly processed carbs all turn to sugar. The average American consumer consumes 152 pounds of sugar in a single year. That's roughly 22 teaspoons every day for every person in America. Nearly one in four teenagers are now pre-diabetic or diabetic, and that is some scary news. So sugar is like a drug. In fact, studies have shown it lights up the brain much like cocaine. That's why it's so addictive. 
I've recently learned that Alzheimer's disease, which my mother had, and when she passed away, she had that, it is a disease totally affecting the brain and neurological health. It is now being called type 3 diabetes. So today, I want to encourage you and me to take a break from the sugar. Give yourself a detox from it. Just try it a week and see how you feel. I bet you instantly begin to sleep better. I bet you also begin to crave more healthy foods. Just be your own study of one. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for being with me today on the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I hope you enjoyed our little journey together. Have a great rest of your day and go make your life awesome.